You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have enjoyed an episode, then please, please open up Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you think we deserve it, scroll to the bottom, select write a review, and leave us a five-star rating with a review that states where you are from and one aspect of the show that you love. Once you do that, send me a screenshot and I will feature you on a future show and shout you out on my Instagram that has over 10,000 followers. Now let's get to the show with our newest guest. How's it going, guys? My name is Will Holdren. I am the host of the Willpower Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Alan Corey, and Alan is a realtor, investor, YouTuber, and he's the author of three books. The first book is The House Fire. The second book is A Million Bucks by 30, and his final book is The Subversive Job Search. So it's an honor to have mine here. So, Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited. Of course. I love networking and meeting people, so this is going to be a great time. So to start off, I kind of want to go way back to your childhood. So can you kind of walk me through what your childhood was like and how it affected you? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I feel like uh, my, my my parents were very much the, the penny pitcher approach. Um, everything was on a budget. Things were really tight. Um, and But we lived in a really good school district. And so I just felt like I was always surrounded by wealth. All my friends appeared to be wealthier than me, have bigger homes, nicer cars, doing nicer things. And I'm still unclear whether that we were really sort of stretching to, to live in this part of town or my parents were just stingy. But uh, I, I remember like shopping in elementary school in the lost and founds. Like, I'm like, I want a starter jacket. It wasn't starter, members only jacket. I want a members only jacket. And my mom's like, I, you know, we, we can't afford that. You, you go go see if there's one in the, the lost and found. And so I got all the trendy clothes uh, digging through the, the lost and found uh, growing up. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And so kind of going through high school, were you like a good student, a straight A student or? I was, I was your, your B student. Um, I would get in trouble if I got below a B. My mom is, was a teacher at the school that I went to, and my dad was also um, a professor at the university. So um, very education-first family. But um, if I got below a B, I'd get in trouble. But I was never interested in school, so I just got the lowest B, like an uh, 83 uh, on every single test. I just do the minimal amount of effort to, to not get in trouble at home. So it seems like your parents wanted you to try your best at everything for the most part. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Did you end up going to college then, even though you said you weren't really into school? Yeah, I did. Um, I went to uh, University of Georgia. Um, at the time, they had a um, a they had just launched the lottery. Uh, I'm 43 now, so this was back in 2000 uh, or 1996 to 2000. They they just launched the lottery in Georgia, and they had this thing called the Hope Program that if you were a B student 
or above, you got to go in-state uh, college for free. Was, uh, the, the lottery paid for it uh, because all, all the good students were leaving the state of Georgia. And so this was to entice them. So actually, I got a, I got a, a full scholarship to Georgia because I happened to be that B student. And that was the very, min, the very minimum. And as long as I kept a B through college, um, I would also uh, continue to have my scholarship. So I, I, I'm, I'm B th- in and you know through and through a, a B student. Yeah. Well, it's hard to pass up a full ride, so can't blame right. you for college for that. What, what was your major in college? Management information systems, which is sort of computer uh, database. And, and back then, that was during the dot-com boom, and anything computer was was, was exciting. I, I learned, you know, I have no interest in computers, but uh, I, I knew it would get me a job. And so that was sort of what I majored in, uh, all because my roommate's brother was like, if you want to make six figures when you get out of college, major in MIS or computer science. And I was like, yeah, I want to make six figures. Sure. And didn't realize, uh, you know, it wasn't a passion of mine for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely just kind of following the money on that. And like, I think a lot of kids do that as well. Like going to school just for a job that can get them six figures coming out. That's not really their passion. Um, so after you did come out of college, did you end up going into that field or did you end up going to the real estate field right away? No. Yeah. So I, um, I did, um, what <laughs> What I always was, besides a B student, was also the class clown. So uh, my entire goal was to be a stand-up comedian. And so I was like, I need to get to New York City to do that. Um, and thankfully, I found a job as doing tech support for a software company um, in New York so that I could focus on being a stand-up comedian. So uh, as soon as I graduated, moved up there, worked nine to five, um, and at, at evenings, hit, hit the comedy club still about you know three o'clock in the morning performing. So wasn't getting much sleep in my post-college life. Wow, that's a pretty cool dream, though. Did your parents kind of support that that dream of yours to go to New York and start doing uh, that? No, uh, that that was not something that uh, your you know elementary or middle school teacher mother would, would wants their child going into or their <laughs> professor father. So uh, I think they were just hoping it was a phase, and and um, I wouldn't say. Um, there, there was any support there. I, I, they just basically ignored the topic and 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 just <laughs> they would just just hope I'd grow out of it. Basically, yeah, that's a, it's also a very interesting point because I think a lot of kids that have passions that their parents don't always support, like you said, like your parents were kind of more the nine to five kind of people. So, how did you kind of learn to overcome with that adversity and still go after that first passion of yours, even though you didn't have a lot of support from your parents? I think a lot of kids would find that useful, and if you had, they had some advice on that, yeah, I um, I. I just felt like, hey, I'm 20. I'm in my 20s. I'm not living at home. I'm completely on my own. I'm, you know, I'm supporting myself with my day job. Um, I, I, I don't. I, why do I care what, what, whether you support me or not? Right? Like, what? What? If you support me, great. You know, I, I know you love me. It doesn't mean you don't love me. But um, uh, it was just. Um, I, I had to live my own life, and this is the life I wanted. And. Uh, Thankfully, I guess they supported me in that, hey, Alan, you're on your own to live your own life, you know, and um, whether they judge me or not um, or extended family, I, I didn't feel pressure to to perform. It was very much this, this is Alan's choice and, and he's going to live and die by, by Alan's choices. And so in some ways they, they supported me, but it wasn't like they were told all their friends that I was doing stand-up comedy and go check me out and, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, so they weren't bragging about you is what you're saying. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like, uh, he, they would talk about my, my tech support job. That, that was, that was, <laughs> yeah. yeah what he, I was doing. work with a tech support job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's, that's a tough concept though, because even like you said, like 
like you got to follow your own dreams, even if your parents don't always support that. And I think that that's a very tough decision, but I feel like it still needs to be made. You know what I mean? Like you said, it's your own life and you only get one shot to live it. And you're young, you're 20 years old. So that's the time to go out and start experiencing things. So I think that's a tough decision. But I think it's the right one. If that was your passion at that time. Yeah. I mean, I've got so many people in, in my life who are like the, the funniest comedians I've ever seen and the, um, you know, best artists, fashion people. And, um, and, and they were like lawyers and I'm like, or, you know, doctors. I'm like, I know this is not your passion. Like I, I want my doctor who's operating on me to be passionate about medicine. I, you know, I I don't want my doctor to be the best comedian that no one's ever heard of or or the best fashion designer that no one's ever heard of. So um, they, they would have been, you know, happier pursuing their passion, making less money. But yeah. really, if you're really talented and it is your passion, you're always going to end up making more money than doing something that you are reluctantly doing to please others. Yep. It's, it's a scary thought thinking of like how many dreams and passions die when people like just don't follow them and decide to go like that normal route because they're like other people influence them to go down that road. Um, so as a 20 year old going to New York City, going to a new city on your own, living your own life, what lessons did you learn? I mean, living in New York City had to be difficult, especially at a young age and all by yourself. So what did you kind of learn through that whole process? Well, again, I mean, I've always had that feeling that I've been surrounded by wealth. And, you know, when you get to New York, that's just amplified. Um, everyone just appeared so wealthy to me because it was just an expensive city to, to live in. Um, and so what I started and I wanted it, you know, that, that was, I, I wasn't I, I took that as motivation. Like I want to be there, you know. And so um, I devoured every single book I could get my hands on on personal finance, growing wealth, real estate investing, um, anything that, that, you know, part of me was if I want to really succeed at being a comedian, I need to leave this day job because that's eating up, you know, nine to five every day of mine. Uh, and I, I want to focus on, on being a comedian. I, I can't, I can't get rid of this day job. So I, I gravitated to these books that were taught me about real estate investing and basically being a landlord, having some passive income. And I, and I, I realized, well, you know, if I buy one or two properties, and you know, I, I didn't have the thought process of how I was going to buy those properties, but if I, if I could find a way to buy one, two, three properties, that rental income, that cash flow would probably be the exact same amount of money that I'm making at my day job, and it would free up 40 hours of my work, uh, you know, of my week for me to focus on what I really want to do. And so, um, what I did is I, I tricked myself, and this is in my first book, A Million Bucks by Thirty. Um, I, I took sixty percent of my salary. I was making fifty thousand dollars a year in New York City. Put sixty percent in a bank account. You know, went to my HR and said, "Put sixty percent in this bank account and put forty percent in this other bank account." And I lived off that forty percent, and I took that forty percent and I invested in IRAs, four hundred one ks. I did all that. Um, I was still saving within my forty percent. But then what I did is every January 1st, I would go to that other bank. I didn't have an online account on purpose. I didn't have a debit card uh, on purpose. I had to physically walk into the bank across Manhattan, other side. And I did that the first week of every January. And I just told myself, whatever I have in that bank account is what I am going to invest uh, in in a real estate property. That first year, I had $10,000. And I said, okay, that's 10% down payment on a $100,000 property. Now, even back then, this was 2002, uh, 2001, 2002, um, there, there were no $100,000 properties in New York City. Uh, and, and, but but I, I was living in the projects of Spanish Harlem because that was the cheapest rent I could find. It was 400 bucks a month for me, and that allowed me to save more and more money, which is how I 
save, you know, tried to save money. And I saw one property for sale online for $110,000 in Brooklyn. I had never been to Brooklyn before, but I told myself, this is the property I'm going to buy because I have to get on the property ladder. I have to start investing in real estate. And, um, and so I went out to Brooklyn and I just knew I was going to buy it no matter what. I show up, there's this passed out guy on the front doorstep of the apartment. Uh, I have to wake him up so I can go inside. He's um, telling me, he's, he's asking me for all my money. He just got out of jail. He had all these stories, all these things where it's like, maybe I should not make this my primary residence. Maybe this, I'm not cut out for this. But I, I just had, had it in my mind this was going to happen. And so, yes, I acquired that property for $99,600. I negotiated them down. I was like, oh, this is all the money I have. I was like, I'd love to pay you $110,000. This is all the money I have. This is my, I think it was less than 10% down because I had closing costs and things like that. Um, but with that one bedroom apartment, uh, it was, I was able to turn it into a two bedroom. Um, it was a really big living room, kitchen. And I hung up this heavy curtain and uh, found a roommate to rent it out. And that roommate situation basically covered majority of my mortgage payments so I could save money. And I just did that for a year. And then the following January, when I checked my bank account again, I was saving money, renting this out. Uh, I had $25,000. Um, I, I, was, I was making more money um, at work and saving more money at the same time. And so with that second property, I bought a duplex uh, where I had um, three bedrooms upstairs unit and then three bedrooms downstairs. And I rented it to five other comedians and we called it the house of clowns. I was charging them five, $600 a month each. And from there that covered all of my mortgage plus $2,000 a month of profit and cash flow, And I was able to leave my day job at that point, um, which I call house fire, which is my new book. Now fire stands for financial independence, retire early through rental houses. So, uh, I house fired. And from there that I was like, I love real estate more than I love comedy. So I just focused on, um, acquiring one property a year, every year. And I did that for five straight years. Um, eventually made a million bucks by 30, which is in my first book and haven't stopped. And now I try to buy a property a month. That's awesome. That's a really impressive story, mainly because you started out at a very young age. You got that mindset quickly, like, okay, I need to start reading books. I need to start uh, passively investing. And on top of that, you were saving 60% of your income. Like, that's insane for a 20 year old to be doing. Like, the fact that you had that recognition, okay, I need to start saving money. I'm not going to go out partying every Saturday night or spending money on like things I don't really need. Like, well, so, so I hear that a lot. But the thing I was, I was out partying. Um, it, but, there's a difference. It'd be like, I'd, I'd show up and, you know, I'd be like, sorry guys, only got 20 bucks to spend tonight, but yeah, let, let, let's go hit the bars. Let's hit the clubs. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I still did the same thing. I just wasn't buying 20 shots at the bar. I, I would I'd get a water, then maybe one beer and I, I would just, you know, plan it out or pregame as you know, before you leave the apartment or, you know, I, I spend my, I, most of my dinners were ramen noodles, which is 13 cents each if you buy them in bulk. And, but I, I had a vision cause I was like, you know, I, I still want to do everything that 20 year olds do, but I want to be a millionaire by 30. I want a million bucks by 30. That was my goal. Only way I can, I, I couldn't control my income. You know, my, my day job wasn't paying so much, but I wanted to control my outcome. And that was the only way I could do it. It was like, well, if I had more money to invest, then I will have make more money. But how do I get more money to invest? I was in an early, you know, entry level job and I didn't have the skill set to make hundred thousand dollars a year, but um, I had a skill set 
well, discipline well, it doesn't even take skills, discipline to save 60% of my salary so I could invest. And, um, and you know, that rewarded me handsomely in my 30s for sure. And there's a lot to unpack in that story. Before we jump into your rental properties, I just want to say a couple of things. First, Raymond noodles are amazing. I'm in college right now, so that cheap stuff is the best. Um, <laughs> second of all, how do you learn to develop that discipline at such, at such a young age? Like, do you think it was mainly because of the books that you read at an early age that helped you develop that, or what? No, I, I think it was my stingy parents uh, because um, they, everyone else was, had this jacket. So if I wanted to do it, I have to get it from the, um, you know, the lost and found. Everyone else was, um, you know, going to this camp, but I, but I couldn't. So I, I, you know, I had to make my own camp or whatever. Like I was always finding creative ways to keep up with my peers because financially I couldn't keep up with them. Um, you know, even if we had the money, my, my parents wouldn't give it to me, I, but you know, they're, they're teachers. They're not making a lot of money. Um, and so um, I, I think I learned it very early on that um, I can hang, I can hang with anyone, even if they're out of my, you know, bracket, you know, tax bracket. Um, I just have to be creative about it. I have to be comfortable about it. I have to be confident about it and be like, Hey, I'm not there yet. That's okay. I'll, I'll still be your friend. I'll still do these things. And I'm going to maybe, you know, take a bus or a subway to get there and, and not a taxi cab, but I'll, I'll still participate. I'll, I'll still, you know, do these things and, and that uh, just not being embarrassed by it and just owning it. And, and yeah. you know, and th that that's what it took. It's definitely a very powerful mindset. I think more kids need to adopt that as well. I think a lot of kids are embarrassed by it and don't know how to interact with those other types of people. Um, so now I want to jump to like the real side state of things. So you bought your first property, 110,000, but you negotiated down to under a hundred thousand dollars. So first of all, how did you find that deal? I had a search that said, show me every property under a hundred thousand dollars and it showed zero report, you know, return results. Uh, and so I was like, all right, let's, let's bump it up to $120,000. And then things started popping in. And I was like, the lowest one I ever saw was that 110,000 one. And I was like, all right, Alan, do or die. You, you got to get this or, or we're never going to buy property. And so I just found, found a way to make it happen. Wow. So how, how did you finance that property? Um, that was just your your typical FHA loan, which um, I'm a real estate, um, real, or I'm a realtor now uh, and, and a real estate investor. So I help people all the time with this. Um, you only need three and a half percent down payment. And so the, there's a strategy, real estate strategy called house hacking. Um, and this is what I did where you for you, you can. So to buy a hundred thousand dollar property right now, Will, you all you need is three thousand five hundred dollars. Um, it, it's, it's called an FHA loan. And go buy a property if you're in college, and go get three roommates. Your your mortgage is going to be, I don't know, a thousand bucks a month, and but you're going to have three roommates paying you five hundred bucks a month, and all of a sudden your mortgage is covered, and you're made, and you don't owe anything, and you're making five hundred bucks a month, and you're you, you fired. You're financially independent, retire early as long as you stay in that situation, and. Um, I would just rinse and repeat, do that every year, go buy another property in the next year and then the next year. And in five years, you're going to have five properties that are cash flowing and you don't need a day job when you have five properties cash flow. So for the FHH loan, that's 3% down, 3.5% down. How long do you have to live in the property? Isn't there a certain amount of time to be in the property? You're, you're, you have to be there uh, for one year. Um, or at least your intentions have to be there for one year. So um, yeah, that's why you could do this every single year, you know, um, uh, 
as, as you want as you want right um, uh, you can only have one FHA loan at a time so what you would do is do do, do an FHA loan live in it to acquire the property find some rental tenants whether you know whether maybe your first year you live there and get roommates but then you find rental tenants to take over give them a lease you refinance that property um, into a conventional loan. And so basically, um, it just changes the terms slightly, um, but you'll probably have had some equity built up and um, you can do that for 5% down. Um, and then you go do another FHA loan. So you could either do an FHA loan and acquire your first one, but your second one has to be a conventional loan, which would be 5% down payment. Okay. So would you recommend doing this process instead of doing the traditional 20% down? Or are you saying if you have- 100%. Do you- yeah. Even if you have the money for the twenty percent down, you yes, say, do that? yes, 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 all day. Um, so think of it this way: um, mortgage rates right now, two point eight five percent. But let's call it three percent. You know, that means you're you're um, borrowing money at three percent. That's almost that's just cheap money. So, hundred thousand dollar property, if you put in five five percent down, five thousand dollars, that means you're borrowing fifteen percent. They're fifteen thousand dollars. That twenty percent payment at three percent. I would say go take that $15,000, go put it in the stocks, mutual funds, VTSAX, the Vanguard total index stocks, mutual funds. That's going to return historically eight to 10% on your money. So you're borrowing money at 3% and making eight to 11%. Um, you, and you don't have to do anything. That's the whole stock market. There's 3000 companies in that, in that mutual fund. And basically, those 3,000 companies are the big 3,000 biggest U.S. companies, which means they're the biggest, typically the biggest world companies. Apple, Tesla, things like the biggest companies in the world happen. Most of them are, are in the United States. And so if the economy goes up, then your, your fund goes up. If the economy goes down, your, your, your fund goes down a little bit. But historically, it's still going to return returns 11% a year. But with inflation, it comes down to 8% a year. And so... So when you buy a house, you want to put as little money down as possible on every single purchase because that difference is such cheap money. You, you make more money putting it in um, a, a mutual fund uh, to offset. Okay. That makes sense. Now, do you still do this process even today, even though you're kind of a bigger investor now and you've already accomplished a lot? Do you still use this FHA process or no? Uh, no. So you, you can only have one at a time. And so um, I, I have um, – I, I'm trying to figure out. I, I have over 100 properties now, so I, I can't. Um, um, I can't do that. So when when you hit 10, that basically that works. This, this approach works for your first 10 properties. Uh, you can have 10 conventional loans. Um, after that, then you have to start getting commercial loans and uh, hard money loans and other other ways to kind of uh, fund your properties. Okay. What what's the risk or the downside with doing the FHA's part of the things? Like, what are the risky parts of doing that process? Uh, I think the risk is all in not doing it. It's riskier not to do it than to do it. Um, you know, so home ownership has risk, right? So um, it's if you get foreclosed on, I guess, would be a risk. But um, the, but that's why you also put down as little as possible. You only lose three thousand five hundred dollars instead of twenty thousand dollars. If you would have put twenty thousand dollars down, you know, you lost twenty thousand um, dollars. Why I like real estate over stocks is, you know, you buy. Um, if, if, if you've got $5,000, you can go buy a $100,000 asset. As long as you make the month, monthly payments, that $5,000 is, is going to turn into a $100,000 paid off asset. With stocks, you put $5,000 in there, it could go down to zero, right? And, and you have nothing to show with it. It, it could grow up to $100,000, sure. 
But real estate will never go down to zero because if you buy a house and it burns to the ground, well, you lost your house, but you still have the land underneath it. So you buy a $100,000 property, the land's probably $20,000 and the building's probably $80,000. So if it burns down to the ground, you still have $20,000. So even though you put uh, how much you put $5,000 into that, you still have a $20,000 asset if it burns to the ground. Not only that, a mortgage company makes you get home insurance. You can't avoid it. You have to have home insurance if you have a mortgage and that home insurance, which is $100 a month, is gonna say, oh, your house burned to the ground, don't worry, we'll build you a new house. And that might even be more valuable for you. You know, who knows? So you're, you're, you've got all these safety nets putting your money in real estate that you don't have when you put your money in stocks. Right, right. And there's obviously a lot of different strategies you can go into real estate with as well. I'm sure you've heard of the Burr strategy as well. And kind of with that first property, since it's more on the cheap side, do you have to do any rehab with that? Or is that just good enough to live in as soon as you pop? Um, yeah, I, I um, put... Uh, new sh shower in, you know, it, it was a it was $100,000 property in, in New York City. It was, it was a dump. But yeah, I, I, I put, um, I want to say maybe $2,500, $3,000, just, you know, retiling the bathroom, new, new shower head, things like that, repainted the walls. Um, and, you know, th this is, no matter what I did to it, it was never going to be uh, a $300,000 property. So, you know, and also I had a budget, but I, I did enough to attract a roommate that would cover the majority of my mortgage. And actually I sold that first apartment two years later for $180,000. So, um, and I made $80,000 uh, on, on that first property. It wasn't expected to be a flip. It, it was to be a buy and hold, you know, house hacking situation, but it turned into a flip and I was able to buy bigger and better properties um, after that. That's pretty impressive since that was your first property and still turned out to be a pretty good ROI on it since you bought it for the 3.5% down. Um, so kind of what lessons did you learn from that property? Did you make any mistakes with that first property that you kind of corrected along your way down the real estate world? I mean, so I, I teach this now. I mean, to me, the the I, so twice I went to go get um, or three times I've applied for a master's uh, in real estate. I'm like, I love real estate. I want to learn more, more real estate. Three times I applied for the master's and, um, I got in three, three different programs, stellar programs. These are actually pro a student programs. Um, and, uh, uh, for once I was going to take <laughs> academics seriously. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, then it came down as like, Hey, you know, this could be 75,000 to $100,000 a year in tuition to go to these programs for, for two years. And, um, and I was like, do I want knowledge right now or do I want experience? What would be more valuable? And so every all, all three times, and this was, you know, I've done this three different times over 20 years. Um, I was like, I'm just going to take that $50,000 or $75,000 and I'm going to go buy a property and I'm going to learn buying property. You know, why go, why take my money and go pay, have someone teach me? What, I, let me just get act, let's just go straight to action and so so th those three times i went to go buy a property and um uh learn so much more uh owning a property having to fix it up having to find contractors and tenants and learning what a lease looks like like you're you're, you're learning trial and error and if i would have failed if i would have lost it all the fifty thousand dollars here seventy five thousand dollars there i probably still would have learned more doing that than spending fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars getting a master's, right? Um, I have true life experience that I can apply to my next one. So when you say what would be the risk or what did I learn, I, I learned everything by doing that, and so much more than reading another book, listening to another podcast. Um, you know, it, it, that's helpful. That gave me confidence to to make put you know to make action, but um, action 
leads to experience, and that experience is the most uh, valuable knowledge that anyone can have. Right, I agree hundred percent. It's definitely worth it just to go out there and start doing it, and then to keep says like keep listening to the podcast every day. So I think that's definitely a smart choice, not going to college and doing that, just investing that money straight away. Um, so also, you said you're a real estate investor, but you're also a realtor, and I think that's an interesting combo. And do you rec- do you recommend for new investors to get their real estate license as well, or is it it's like what are the advantages of that? No, no. So. Um, I, I was an investor first and all my friends started coming to me and saying, hey, how do I buy properties? What should I look at? You know, and I kept saying, well, here, here's a list of questions. Ask your realtor, ask your you know, realtor this. Did your realtor do this? And um, then I was like, fine, I'll just be a realtor. It's, it's easier for me than me to tell you what to go ask your, your real estate agent. Um, and so um, if you're just going to be a realtor for yourself, I see no advantage. I mean, if you're going to be a real estate investor for yourself, I see no advantage of being a realtor. But if you truly, truly want to help other people, then it's an advantage, which is what I want to do. This is why I write books. I try to teach everyone that I have, uh, you know, all the knowledge that I have. And as a realtor, I can teach other real estate investors. And so that has been helpful. So I spend a lot of my time helping other people on their deals. Um, but if, in terms of um, working for yourself, um, it's, it's no different. Like if you're a real estate investor, why not go be your own plumber? Go get your plumbing license. Why not be a contractor? Go get your contracting license. Why not be your own mortgage lender? Go get your mortgage license. Why not be a realtor? Go get your realtor. Like, like where does it stop? Like it, it, all those things don't really help you um, it, unless you get the reps in of helping other people, really understanding, value, evaluating deals over and over again. Um, but if you want to be a realtor to help other people, sure, just for yourself, it, it's no different than going to go learn how to put a roof on yourself. Like it's all this time uh, and a special skill set. And if you're not doing it every single day, I don't see the advantage of it. Right. That's pretty interesting because I listen to a lot of the Bigger Pockets podcasts as well. And Brandon always complains that his realtor gets all the commission money for when they actually sell the house. And so do you think, so you're saying it's definitely like not worth it just to, just to get that commission for yourself? When that well, happens. actually, I was a Bigger Pockets podcast uh, guest today, and we uh, talk awesome. about this subject on, on the on the podcast. So podcast number 466 on the Bigger, Bigger Pockets podcast came out today. Um, awesome. Yes, no. So, um, I mean, do you complain that the roofer made money when he puts on the roof like like where does it stop right um a good realtor uh like like i think i i hope i am is like i'm gonna i'm gonna make you into a million dollar real estate investor right i'm gonna tell you do not buy this property for xyz and i'll say hey these three properties i would buy because of xyz and and then you buy it and it's sure maybe it's a thirty thousand dollar property now or a fifty thousand dollar property now but I'm going to be in your ear and I'm going to call you six months later. Hey, Will, I got another property for $30,000 that the seller financing, which means you don't need a mortgage. The seller is going to be the mortgagee, you know, and then, you know, we, we have that conversation over five, 10 years. All of a sudden I made you a million dollars. Are you going to be mad that I took commission off your checks uh, because I've turned you into a millionaire? I mean, if you are, then yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So, so let's go down the road that someone's an investor. They're pretty new investor. They're not an agent. What are they looking for when they're trying to find a real estate agent? When they're trying to find to build, when they're trying to find people to build their team, like what kind of qualities are they looking for when they're asking to like help them out in that process? Well, so you, so I, I call them umbrella salesmen. Like when I lived in New York City, a lot of real estate like. Um, whenever it rained, there, there was people out there selling umbrellas right by the subway stop, and um, but they were always wearing ponchos, and I'm like, 
you know, I'd be like, you don't even believe in your own product. Like, how can you be a successful real umbrella salesman if you're wearing a poncho? Like, like, you know, I want to buy a poncho, but you're not even, you're not, you don't sell ponchos. You're, you're selling umbrellas. Like that, that, that's a better product. So um, I, I look at the same way with real estate agents. Like if you're buying a condo, go find a real estate agent that owns a condo or owns 10 condos. You know, if you're, if you're buying a um, uh, land, go, go buy a, find a real estate agent that specializes in land and owns land himself or herself. And so I, I am the same way. Like I, I own a hundred properties, so I own every type of property. So when you come to me, yeah, I, I own commercial property and, and townhomes and apartments and multifamily and quads and single families. And like, so I have experience and I go buy those properties because I want experience so I can go help other people buy those properties. So that's um, what I would, I would ask is like, what, what properties do you own? And does it match what, you're looking for, you know, and, and that, that's, that's a great way to make, make a real estate, um, you know, size, size up a real estate agent for you. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting. It's definitely a, a good take as well. And I'm kind of curious, like do most real estate agents have investment properties? Like, is that a normal thing or is that not normal? I, I would say it's not normal. I mean, um, the, so most real estate agents are not, um, successful. Um, there's actually, this was on NPR yesterday. Um, there's three times as many real estate agents as there are houses for sale right now. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> so, so a lot of people do think, think, Oh, this is easy. I'm going to go get my real estate license. And then they pay all the fees. They take all the courses, they make the business cards and they're like, don't attract any clients. And so it's a very, very low bar of entry. Uh, but it's very high bar of success, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I, you, you interview me, Will, and I tell you all my real estate experience. And then you go interview another real estate agent who's like, yeah, I haven't done a deal yet. I've had my license for two years. It, it, it's hard. It's hard for that person to win business. And, and it's easy for me to win business. So, you know, that's that, 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 that's how it goes. Right. And I just have one more question before we run out of time here. So one of your books is A Million Bucks by 30. And obviously you've done that. You've over 100 deals, which is really impressive. So kind of. Can you just kind of lay out the blueprint of what it takes to become a millionaire by 30 by investing in real estate? Like how many houses would it normally take? What's the strategy to kind of walk through it all the way up to 30? Just things like that kind of. Well, well, the blueprint is the book. I mean, that, that is, that's the blueprint, but it, it's a, it, there, there's something called the fire method movement uh, out there that, you know, it's an acronym fire financially independent, retire early. So there's different ways to do it, but the gist of it is live below your means. And if you can live, and, and some people call it pay yourself first, but like take whatever you make for the rest of your 20s, take 50% of it and invest it. I don't care how you invest it. If you're not comfortable investing in real estate, that's fine. Invest it in a stock mutual fund, in 401k, IRAs, just in, in art. If you're an art expert, you work in an art museum and you know, are these artists go buy art? It doesn't matter. Just take 50% of your paycheck and, and invest it. And if you do that in your 20s and you do that for 10 years, you'll be a millionaire. You might not be a millionaire the day you turn 30, but if you do nothing and just let those investments grow, it'll eventually make you a millionaire. And so that is that is the blueprint. And it, it, it's you don't have to have any skill set. You just have to have discipline. And if you're willing to do that, and, and, and I always play tricks with myself and, and hide the money because I knew I'd go spend it. But, it, but if I hit the money and then went to go invest it, um, that, that was sort of a safety net for me to, to always force myself into investing. Yeah, that's that's all I'm hearing. Everyone says like you should invest your money, but how many people actually do it, especially like at a younger age? Like like you said, they should be right. doing so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, how old are you, Will? I'm 19 right now. Okay. Wow. So, you're, you're the fact that you're wanting to have this conversation with me. You're 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 ahead of every other 19 year old, uh, which is awesome. And um, if you 
you know, I'll, I'll say this. What, what, what feels cooler, um, being in your 20s and going to every single party and spending every dollar or being in your 30s and a millionaire? Like, like that, that, that vision, I'm like, oh, being a millionaire at 30, that's going to get me through these things that I feel like I'm miss, possibly missing out on through my right. 20s. And um, uh, you, I, I set my future self up for success. I, I, I gave myself the best gift ever uh, by living off half my income for, for a decade. Yeah, I, I go through that thought process every day. Sorry, I know what you're talking about on that yeah. one. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on here today. I have a really great talk. So if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? And is there anything else you would like to say? Yeah, sure. Um, so every social media channel, I'm the house of AC. My name is Alan Corey, but my friends call me AC on YouTube. Um, I've got a channel, the house of AC, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. The, the house of AC is the way to find me. Reach out. I'm always talking about real estate, investing money. Um, and, uh, I, I love to teach everything uh, that I, I know. All right, guys, there you have it. Alan Corey, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Okay. No way, no.